Well, good morning again. It's good to see you this morning. Thanks for being here in worship. It is great to have you. I love this time. I love being able to share this time with you. It's a highlight of my week. Um, it's just good to be together in the name of the Lord. Amen. It's just good. It's just really good. I, it's one of the gifts God has given us is to be together with each other. Um, I was thinking just a couple days ago that as I grew up, like I was born into a, a church-going, godly family. I had really good parents. Um, we never missed a day at church uh, when I was growing up. We, we, we always went. Um, there wasn't a whole lot about God through the week, although my parents were good people. You know, I didn't, I just, I didn't hear much about God through the week. But on Sunday, we were in church. We were really in church, and um, for some reason, I got into this thing where. I just kept looking at my life and being depressed about how well I did for God. I don't know if any of you have ever been in that place. It just, it just felt like I kept failing. It just it felt like I wasn't measuring up. And so consequently, it got me into this uh, pattern of like giving my life to Jesus over and over and over again. And that's, that's just what I did. I just kept giving my life to Jesus. And, we, we were attending a church at the time that had often, that often had altar calls and that kind of thing, and the same people were going down every week uh, during that, and so I kind of followed that pattern as well. I, I, I went down and I accepted Christ again, thinking that maybe this time it would take, you know, it would, it would take hold and, and my life would be sinless and I would be, I don't know, perfected or something along those lines, but then I just, somebody came alongside me and mentored me and made me realize, you know, the error of that and how Satan was using that just to wind me up in that, in that endless loop and not have any effectiveness for God whatsoever. And so I was up in my in-law's cabin one December and I, I just told God, I'm going to accept your, the gift of your son one last time and I'm never going to do it again. And I'm going to remember that date. And that's what I did. I did. It was December 27th, 1991. I mean, I went out in the <clears throat> in the woods and I accepted Jesus. And I told Satan to shut up, you know, to stop hounding me about that, that I understood that I'm a child of God, a not perfect child of God, someone who's going to make mistakes, but nevertheless loved dearly by God. Same as you. Same as all of you. And that was a real milestone in my life when I could get past that particular thing. I don't know how you view God. I, 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 maybe do you see him as this kind of cosmic Santa Claus? I mean, America has made him out to be that way a lot. Like we were in, in it with God so that he gives us stuff, so that he does things for us, kind of like, like I said, a cosmic Santa Claus. Or is he kind of this warm teddy bear father, you know, big, big arms and, and jolly laugh and climb up on his lap, and I mean, we, we do have an aspect of him like that, Abba Father. Um, is he like that? Is he a loving, tolerant friend? Just someone who <clears throat> slaps you on the back and encourages you and um, is willing to, to just you know, have fellowship with you if you want to, if you have time for it? Or do you see him as like a, a vengeful, demanding tyrant with a hammer, 
you know, ready to come down on your head. I, that's how I saw him for a long time. I saw him that way, you know. Um, we're going to look at a single verse in Joshua today, just one verse. That, that's it. Um, and we're going to look at a very misunderstood and misused phrase, the phrase being fear the Lord. Fear the Lord. That's what we're going to talk about today and see what that really means. What do you think of when you hear that? I mean, we have our ideas about what fear is, but what does it bring to mind when, when you come across scriptures that say fear the Lord? But we want to find a healthy version of that. We want to find a healthy definition of that for us in our lives that will lead us to greater devotion and greater worship of God uh, through that. Um, we're studying in Joshua 24, so if you have your Bibles or electronic devices, you can turn to Joshua 24. Um, let's remember what's gone on before, though, what, we've, what we've already talked about last week and even before that. Israel marched with Joshua from the east side of the Jordan River and they went across on dry land. They marched around Jericho seven times. They went into the promised land. They had seven years of war and then they had 23 years of just kind of settling in to this promised land that God promised them 600 years before. And they're settling into that. Think of all they've seen. <laughs> Think of all these people have seen. And, and we marvel. It's like, how can they keep failing God when there's a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night and there's men on the ground and quail falling from the skies and there's all these walls that fell and altars that were built and the sun stood still and cities that were conquered and civil war that was narrowly averted, you know, avoided. And they saw all these things. And now, at age 110, Joshua gathered those leaders together at Shechem. We talked about this last week. And he gave them his final words. You know, now remember, Moses wasn't allowed to go into the promised land because of sin. And so he handed leadership to Joshua. He was a great war hero. He led them to many victories. But right now, Israel is no longer at war. And Joshua is beginning to see some disturbing changes in the way that they worship. Okay, they're turning to idols rather than to the one true God. And I have to laugh in a sad way because we're the same way. You know, we do the same kinds of things. I think it's, I think for some reason we follow God closer when times are hard, but that's because we don't know how to fix it, right, ourselves. It's not because our lives are completely dependent on God. It's just that I don't know what to do, God, so I'm going to pray to you. But in good times, and just like the people of Israel did in turning to idols, we turn to our idols, don't we? Those things that we have greater devotion to than God. Those things that become more important to us than God. Um, there's a saying, <laughs> hard times create strong people. Strong people create good times. Good times create weak people. Weak people create hard times. Okay? You follow that? It's like the hard times create strong people because we're tested. Strong people create good times because we're, they're effective. The good times, though, create weak people because the testing's gone away. And then weak people bring back hard times. You know, so Joshua was a strong man. He was a strong person, but the people had forgotten what God had done. Remember last week? They had forgotten. 
Joshua goes through 13 verses of saying, remember all that God has done for you. Look at how he's been with you. And then Joshua, in the very next verse, he says this, Joshua 24, 14. He says, now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worship beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. Now, in, in the first John series that we did, we kind of got a little bit in the habit of writing in your Bibles. And I'd like to ask you to write in your Bible right now. If you have a Bible in front of you, circle now, the very first word of that, of that verse. Now fear the Lord. Because that's pointing back to something. Something was said, now fear the Lord. What was said? All that God did. Of the faithfulness of God, the, 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 the love and the care and the protection of God evidenced in so many different ways. So there, now, and then right out in the margin, now refers to the 13 previous verses. Just write 13 previous verses out in the margin next to where you circled now. That's what it's referring back to. So that fear of the Lord is, Joshua isn't saying, now be terrified of God. Joshua's saying, look what he did. Now fear the Lord and, and fear the Lord. Underline it. Underline fear of the word, fear of the Lord. And, and in the margin, write reverent awe. Reverent awe leading to obedience. Reverent awe leading to obedience. Because that's what we're talking about here. This fearing of the Lord is not motivated by terror. The, the, what came before was not terror. What came before is a hall of fame of all God had done for the Israelite people. Given that, fear the Lord. It's different, right? We, when we hear fear of the Lord, we, we think terror. We think cringing in fear. We think of, of our moms when we've done something wrong and she's saying, just wait till your father gets home. You know, just wait till your father goes and gets home. And, then, and while we're waiting, we think of all the bad stuff we did and we imagine how bad it's going to be when dad gets home. But the Bible is much different in this. It's a broader, different concept. It's a deep respect and love for God. It's a reverence. It leads us to want to please him in what we do. It leads to obedience motivated by love because we've had this reverent awe of God. So how do we put that into our families? How do we instill that reverent awe of God in our families? so that we want to worship him, so that we want to obey him. For a few clues, we're going to turn over to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 6, the fifth book of your Bible. If you want to turn over there, we're going to look at the first two verses. And here they are. It says, These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you and so that you may enjoy a long life. You see how Moses says this through the lens of family. He says, so that you and then your children and your children's children will know. It's through the family that this is being passed. See, Moses knew the day would come that they would cross the Jordan and possess that land. When he wrote this, they hadn't done that yet. 
know, but in preparation for that day, Moses is speaking to boys and girls, teenagers, single people, men and women, husbands and wives. And he's saying, 40 to 50 years in the future, you and every generation after you fear the Lord. Fear the Lord. So if fearing the Lord is really about cringing and terror, as we may like conceive of it, then Moses wouldn't have written in there so that you may enjoy long life. That's how he summed it up. He said, fear the, fear the Lord your God as long as you live, and so that you may enjoy long life. He wouldn't have said that. He would have said, so that you may be a terrified slave of a cruel God in a distant heaven, or something like that. I, I don't know. But something that your life would be miserable. You would be without God. You would run from God. But no, he says, so that you may enjoy a long life. He says, I'm giving you clear, simple instructions that if you follow them, they will change your heart and your life in God will be for your good and God's glory. So taking that cue, we want to look at how we create our homes to be a place of worship. How do we create our homes to be this place of worship? And the first way that we do that is to infuse awe. We infuse awe into our homes. If we look at Psalm 145, verses 3 to 5, it says, Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. They speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty. And I will meditate on your wonderful works. You see what David is doing here? Generations should behold the beauty and the majesty of God. Generation after generation should. One generation tells another generation. We speak about God's glory, and then we're, we spend time thinking about it and meditating on all that God's done. That's what Joshua's doing in chapter 24. He is bringing that back to these leaders and saying, here's what God has done. Don't forget it. Meditate on it. Think about it. Don't let that slip by. So the more we slow down and the more that we remember all that God has done for us in creation, in Jesus, in every aspect of our lives, then awe becomes formed in us. Awe becomes formed in us. And when awe is formed in us for God, then we start to obey him. And we start to put the first things first in our lives. There was an author, Paul David Tripp. He wrote a book called Awe, just called Awe. And he writes this in the preface. He says, I am more aware than ever that I have a fickle and wandering heart. I wish I could say that every moment I enjoy some created thing, it initiates in me a deeper worship of the creator, but it doesn't. Empirical evidence in my life betrays me that I give my heart to the worship of the thing that has been made rather than the one who made it. Spending what I don't really, when I don't really have a need, envying what someone else has, eating when I'm not really that hungry, which is a life lacking in all. That's what life looks like, lacking in all. We go around, we look, we pull at things that will fulfill us, pull at things that we, that we want, that we, we seek after. But if our awe isn't in God, if we don't fear the Lord, then he doesn't take first place in our lives, and we don't seek the right things. 
So I need to spend more time. We need to spend more time just gazing at the beauty of God. We just need to spend more time thinking about that. I need to put myself in a place where I can be in awe of God's grandeur, of God's majesty. I need to put myself there. I need to be unable to find words to describe him. I need to be that saturated in awe that I, I, I can't describe God to you. I need that awe to refocus my life, redirect my life, recapture my passion for him. And I need to remember that the war for my awe continues daily. There is a constant war for our awe, for our interest. That's what we call the idols. A couple weeks back, we talked about idols. We went down a long list of what could be an idol because they become more important in your life than God. And there's a constant war going on in the spiritual realms around our lives to make us look to those things rather than God and put him first. Because we're wired for awe. Basically, human beings like awe. We get in awe of things. We get amazed by things. That's, that's kind of how we're built. But we need to have awe of God. We have to have no other adoration or awe it will satisfy us completely. We have to know that. It will for a little while. You know, when I buy a new phone, I'm all about it for a few days. And then it's just another phone. Get a new car. Man, you park as far away as you can from wherever you're going so nobody parks next to you and dings your door. And then you get that scratch and then you don't care where you park anymore. <laughs> but when we're wired to have this affection for things or other people or things like that, and all of that will eventually let us down in some way. It won't continue to fulfill us. No other awe brings that peace and security as awe of God, as the fear of the Lord. So Joshua's looking at these people in front of him in Joshua 24, and he says, throw away your worthless idols. Worship the one true God. So how do we do that? How do we throw away our worthless idols, and how do we worship the one true God? We need to look in our ordinary lives for moments that are from the extraordinary God. Our ordinary lives are all kinds of moments that are from the extraordinary God. For example, you go to the Pittsburgh Zoo. On the way there, talk about the creation story, the, the miracle of that. While you're at the zoo and you see these crazy animals, just marvel at God's creativity. You know, God made that. It's like, that's, that's incredible. You know, we're still trying to unravel the secrets of biology within our bodies in this world. And it's amazing what God has done. If, if you smell a fragrant flower, thank him for his generosity. When you, when you look at something, even just this slide with the bright colors, understand that we didn't have to be created to see color. We could live in a monochrome world, but that's the hand of a generous God. I'm in awe of that. I'm in awe of that. We don't have to experience love to be living beings, right? He could have not given us these emotions, but they make life so rich. It's the hand of a generous God, and I'm in awe of that. Look at the extraordinary God in the ordinary moments. 
when you're walking through the woods and you see these huge trees with their branches stretched to heaven, marvel at the hand of God. And even in sickness, marvel at the complex systems that have to work together inside our bodies to make us well. Just marvel at it. I, I read write-ups of our, of our um, immune systems and things like that and how that works. And there's little armies being sent out and there's little signals being sent through the body. We got a problem over here. And so stuff happens and I'm in awe. I'm in awe, it's the hand of a generous, incredibly genius God. And so I developed this reverent awe of him. And in that, I fear the Lord. In that, I'm fearing the Lord. We can even talk about our eternal home in heaven, how, we, how we'll enjoy it through faith in Jesus, and there'll be no tears and no sadness and no sickness. It will be perfect, and we can be in awe of God doing that for us. Folks, we're in the middle of a never-ending display of God's glory. It's all around us. It's all around us, and we have the privilege of seeing that every day. That's an amazing thing. All can be formed in you. It can be formed in me. It can be formed in your family, whatever that family may look like, just by slowing down and seeing God around us. So the first thing we need to do in our families is infuse awe. The second thing is to instill protections. Put in place protections. We look at the last part of Joshua 24, 14. He says, throw away the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt. And in 1 Corinthians 10, 14, Paul's writing, therefore, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. These are action verbs. These are action-oriented. We have to do stuff because false gods don't disappear on their own. We have to actually take action. We have to throw away our false gods. We have to flee from idolatry. We have to actively recognize them and to remove them from our lives and from the lives of our families. So what might be an idol in your life? We talked about idols a couple weeks ago. Did you examine your lives? I mean, there's idols in my life, depending on the time of day, week, year, whatever, I don't, I don't know, but there's idols in my life that I have to think about. What might be an idol for you? God knows us so well. You know, our nature hasn't changed since Adam and Eve. You know, we're, we're in the garden. Our nature is no different. He knows that we need guardrails. We need boundaries in our lives to keep us safe, to protect us. So he had just brought Israel out of slavery. The first ten, the ten Commandments given to us in Exodus 20. He had just brought Israel out of slavery. And he declares, I'm your God. And I'm giving you these commandments for your protection and your good. If we look at the first four commandments, they are. The first one, you shall have no gods before me. The second one, don't create and worship idols. The third one, don't misuse the name of God. And the fourth one, practice a Sabbath. Practice Sabbath keeping. They're put together for our relationship with God. And they give us clear directions to protect that relationship with God. It warns us against idols. Joshua and Paul both are reminding us of a really broad principle here that we're to put God first in every way and in every area of our lives. That's what he's saying. Put God first. Flee from idols. Remember all he's done for you. Develop a fear of the Lord. 
get as far away as possible from anything that takes our attention or our affection away from God. Get as far away as you possibly can. Those are the guardrails we need. So what do you need to throw away? Joshua said, throw away the idols. What do you need to throw away? The alcoholic can't have alcohol in their home. Throw it away. The gambling addict can't have that app on their phone. Delete it. Statistics say that a child's first exposure to porn is at 11 years old. So monitor their tech. Watch. Be vigilant. And if you have a relationship, if you're in a marriage and you have a relationship, you love that person, but it's not all it can be, then be careful. Because other relationships you have could become an idol. You might think you find what you're looking for in someone else. Put a boundary in place. And be vigilant. This is what throwing away our idols consists of. Things like that. That's what we're told to do. Now, rules don't change hearts. We've learned that from even the law, which was given to show us sin, but they didn't change our hearts, really. So rules don't change hearts, but we need these guardrails. We need these protections in our lives. And we do need to be in awe of our amazing God through all of it. So we need to instill those protections. And finally, we need to inspire fear. We need to inspire fear in our families. The first part of Joshua 24, 14, now fear the Lord. Now, given all that God has done, fear the Lord. We know God is loving and merciful and forgiving and gracious, but we also know that he is holy and just and righteous. And we have to hold those two sides in tension to fully know God. Because God is all of that. It appears to be in opposition, but it really just helps us understand him better. Proverbs 2.5 says, Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. What Then what? what? What happens for the then? Then is a desperate search for wisdom and insight. In other words, it's a relational pursuit of God through faith in Jesus. And then we will know him. Exodus 14.31 illustrates the fact that true fear causes people to put their trust in God, not run from him. Look at Exodus 14.31. And when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and ran away in terror. Put their trust in him. Put their trust in him. Biblical fear doesn't lead us to cowering in terror. It leads us to trust. It leads us to trust. We, we, our concept of fear doesn't help us understand this very well, but the Bible has the phrase, do not fear and do not be afraid in it. 365 times. Once for every day of the year. We need a daily reminder. Do not fear. Do not be afraid. Why are we told not to fear? Because God wants us to be filled with hope and trust. Not fear. Hope and trust. Remember we talked about hope. That confident expectation of God's promises. 
He's given us a confident, expectant hope by sending Jesus to die for us and raising him from the dead so that we can share in that. He is a life-giving, loving Father. So true fear of the Lord. True fear of the Lord realizes that you can't run from God, so you run to him. You run to God. You trust him. You seek him. You are in awe of him, and you obey him out of love for him. You will find the embracing arms of a loving father. So this fear of the Lord, this reverence, this respect, it comes with a context where God is saying, I have bound myself to you in love. I have bound myself to you in love. So when we fear the Lord, we have this reverence and awe for a heavenly father who is for us, who's on our side. He's not that judgmental, hammer-wielding tyrant. He's the loving Father who is immensely powerful on our side. This shapes our lives in a lot of different ways. It's an amazing counterintuitive thing in the Bible that we more, the more we fear the Lord and see him as good and glorious, the more we actually get to experience him in intimate relationship. The more we fear him, the more we know him intimately. Because who does he draw near to? The one who fears him the one who is infused by awe of him, the one who recognizes God for who he is. That's who God draws near to. We have this fear that God is so distant that we won't be able to relate to him. And in a way, we can. He's God, we're human beings. We don't fully understand God, but he's God. And it's really just the opposite of that. Reverend awe for God leads to knowing him intimately. That's what it does. It just leads us to that. It leads us to loving him, to obeying him, and knowing the loving, merciful God better and better each and every day. So that's what fear of the Lord is. That's what inspires fear of the Lord, and that's what it does for us. Y'all remember the hymn, Amazing Grace. That hymn has taken on new depth for me through this message. Look at this last stanza. "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. But I want to look at the first two lines. Twas grace that taught my heart to fear. The grace, the love, the protection, the, the, the provision, the care of the loving Father taught my heart to fear. Not terror fear, but to fear the Lord. To have reverent awe for him. Okay, but then the second verse, the second line deals with the other fear. And grace, my fears relieved. That same grace from the loving Father, his care and his protection, took away all of my terror and worry and uncertainty, all the things that I feared. So both kinds of fear are in view in these two lines. His grace taught me to fear him, and that same grace wiped my fear away. I think that's amazing. So let's look at all God has done. People never forget what God has done in their life. Never forget. Always remember what God has done in your life. And let that help to feed a fear of the Lord where you have reverent awe for all that he is. And through that awe, to love him more, to obey him, and to draw near to him. Let's pray.
Lord God, we, at various times and in various ways, God, we have a, a, a different perspective of you. We have a different view of you, God. You, sometimes we do see you as so judgmental and demanding, but God, we know better. Sometimes we see you as just a, a, a warm, fuzzy father, and there is a component of you, God, we know that is like that, our Abba Father that we draw near to. But God, even though it's impossible for us to fully understand who you are, I pray that you will help us to see your hand in our lives, to, to experience the love and the care and the grace that has been bestowed upon each and every one of us. And to come to this place to where we respect and you and have reverent awe for you. Just to be amazed by who you are. And God, as we do that, as we look at your hand around us, as, as we just become more and more aware of all that you do and, and, and who you are, God, help that to stimulate worship in us, praise in us. Help that to make our hearts glad and overflow with love and devotion to you. And help that to be expressed, God, in the songs we sing, in the words that we read, in your word, in the way that we live our lives, God, that we can live holy lives in tribute to the one true God. So Lord, help us to know you that way. We pray all these things in Jesus' name.